0: Good morning, CCSC. My name is Debbie, and I'll be reading today's scripture, which comes from Proverbs 4, 1 through 6, and Proverbs 20, verse 7. Please give your attention to the reading of God's word. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive, that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, He taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments and live, get wisdom, get insight, do not forget and do not turn away from the word of my mouth, words of my mouth, do not forsake her and she will keep you, love her and she will guard you. Proverbs 20 verse 7, the righteous who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. Please give your attention to the preaching of God's Word.
1: Thank you. Thank you to Debbie for the reading of his Word. Thanks be to God. We come to this second part of a, uh, I call it a mini-series within the series of Shalom. We looked at two weeks ago, Wisdom from Parents. Today, by the Spirit of God, hopefully we could unpack some wisdom for parents, wisdom for parents, well, at the outset, I can safely say, close to half of all the parents in this room are below average, close to half, welcome to Sunday worship service today at CCSA, so how can we grow, how can we grow in parental wisdom and pl- uh, please, mind you, this is not just for biological parents. You will hear it again as we are reminded as a church of family of God. This is for all, all spiritual mothers and fathers, brothers and sisters. Uh, first, just like to speak about the purpose in parenting according to the Proverbs. Uh, I think in my generation, for immigrant households, one of the paramount purposes was your children to. Fulfill the American dream. And after all, that's why parents sacrifice, not knowing the language, to come all the way to the U.S. of A. so that certainly not their children would just lay around and not achieve or succeed. The purpose in parenting was your children ought to become reputable, successful, secure, rich. Become part of American society. And that took a lot of involvement and activity. I mean, this is where we get tiger moms, right? Tiger moms, intensely involved, very strict, you know, kind of really kind of riding your kids, coaching them all the time so that they can achieve. That's one purpose. Uh, I think culture has shifted somewhat where now the purpose in parenting is you better get out of the way so your children can fulfill their dreams. Make sure your children turn out happy, healthy, holistically, of course. Uh, let your children find out who they are. Discover who you are. And follow your passions. Do what you love. One purpose in parenting, fulfill the American dream. It takes a lot of active involvement. A second kind of purpose in parenting is almost laissez Just You just need to affirm and empower, kind of let them go. Let them be so that they can fulfill their own dreams. The Proverbs don't talk like this. The Proverbs are much broader and deeper than this. The main goal in parenting, according to this book, is to make your children wise. The purpose according to the Holy Scriptures, according to Proverbs, is not, oh parents, so that you can look and feel better about yourselves, live vicariously through the reputation and the performance or the success of your kids, and be able to brag about them. Or the purpose of parenting is not to make sure that your children look and feel better about themselves. No. The main goal in parenting Over and over and over, that's why we have an entire book. Books that are called wisdom literature is to make your children wise, godly, like God, because God is altogether wise. Now, to refresh our memories, wisdom is the gift and the ability from God to merge the Word of God and how the world really works. Wisdom is a gift. You can develop it. Where in situations that the Holy Scriptures do not directly address, governed by the Scriptures, you will choose what is best, what is godly, even among all the options. Even amidst all the complex realities of life, wisdom, what is more valuable and practical than this then? The main job of parents hey, parents, parents, ultimately it's not about you, ultimately it's not even about your kids. It's to make your children wise. That they would become more like God their maker. So, how do we pass along wisdom? Three parts today. I mentioned it before. The words you say, so you got to teach. Second, I mentioned the ways you live. The ways we live as parents. The good and the bad. I'm going to call that discipline. I'm going to call it discipline. You all understand why I call it discipline. Third, how you love in church Three ways that the wisdom of God is passed along best. Teach, discipline, how you love and cherish your children. First, you got to teach. You, 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 you have to teach. Verses 1 and 2 and verse 5 of our chapter, it reads, Hear, O sons, a father's instruction. Be attentive that you may gain insight. I give you good precepts, do not forsake my teaching. I'm not going to parse the distinctions of meanings of instruction, insight, precepts and teaching, different kinds of teaching, different facets of teaching, maybe formal, informal, specific, general, hey, propositional, or maybe it's just kind of an anecdote, all different kinds of teaching. This is what fathers and mothers should do. Verse 5, get wisdom, get insight, do not forget, and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. It's emphatic. Do not turn away from these words. Please, teach and pass along words of wisdom. You must teach. Why? Now, why? Why are parents before schools, education system, politics, and churches... Before they're called to help teach or train your children, why are parents the first to be called to do this? Because children are born naturally unwise. Hopefully that's not breaking news or news flash for you. Children are born out of touch with reality. Children are naturally self-centered. Children are naturally born with a what we call the doctrine of sin, independence against their creator-maker and any authority figure outside of themselves. Therefore, children who are naturally self-centered, out of touch with reality, it is the parent's job to teach the children that if you say words like that, you react like that, you behave like this, it affects all these other people. Like the way the world works, like jobs work, schools work, relationships work. Hey, child, you really shouldn't get away, at least in our household, doing and behaving this way. Because we know in the future, that's going to bring just a lot more damage, self-destruction, maybe even ruin. How do we pass along wisdom? Words of wisdom, they have to be taught. Man, just all last weekend, all last weekend, young man traveled into a specifically black community at a supermarket in Buffalo, targeted the black community, shot, 10 were killed. That young man believed what he was taught. It says he got onto online forums because he was bored as the pandemic erupted. And he bought into a certain worldview, a certain type of racism that not always will lead to violence and hatred, oh, but to be sure, it begins with what you are taught. J.J. McNabb, a fellow at George Washington University's program on extremism, quote, it is a different world, just a constant flow of bad statistics, bad memes, bad lies about the people they want to hate, end quote. The online world that our children are living and growing up in nonstop is dominated really by four groups. Four groups the radical right, the radical left. Then you have trolls, which is the third group, who just bag on criticize anybody. And then last but not least, disinformation, misinformation, and conspiracy theories. Those are your four dominant groups on what is being taught and even believed online. All last Sunday as well, a good friend of mine, a pastor friend of mine, at an Asian American church said one of her gals, one of his gals, on the way to church one block away from Madison Square Garden, was repeatedly beaten over her head with her own purse on a Sunday morning. Beaten on the head with her own purse. And then the pastor went on to say that's not even the worst story. He has a friend, an Asian American male, bona fide athlete, like a stud. He got sucker punched so hard, he's undergone reconstruction surgery and he still has a drooping eye. Things are being taught, things are being believed. Last Sunday, Laguna Woods, politically motivated hatred. A Taiwanese gathering of believers, specifically targeted because of politics. Now, the reason I bring this up is this is not an insular, safe, everything is going well kind of world. And all parents here, you must, I just want you to, do you, are you aware do you even check in on what your children are reading, believing, processing? What's their worldview? What's some of their positions? What's some of their opinions? I am not saying practically, realistically, you can cut off and shut down all access of information, or else how could they learn or converse or socialize at all? But do you check in? Do you gauge? Do you converse? Do you try to distinguish, guide your children along bad from good, true from false, Half-truths from whole truths. Do you try to unpack this nonsense of mixed bags and try to go for some nuance here? Again, the online world does not welcome nuance or moderation. The more shocking and extreme you can be for your children, the more popular, the more business they can bring. Parents, teach and pass along wisdom. With sound and truthful and good from God, practical, realistic words of wisdom. That's our job. That's our job as parents. Look at chapter 3, verses 28 through 30. Notice how the Proverbs are so specific. They don't just tell you the positive propositions. It doesn't just tell you the do's. It also tells you the don'ts. It's not just prescriptive, but it's preventative and prohibitive. Look at these three verses. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it. When you have it with you. Don't lie. Don't pass an opportunity to share and be generous and do good. Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. Like, don't provoke and look for fights and start fights. Question for all of us parents. We are called to teach and pass along words of wisdom. Words of wisdom. Truth from false. False. How many of us have even just taught the Proverbs? There's a whole book here in the Bible. Do you know it? Do you know it? Do you pass it along? Do you practice it? It's all here. We can just start here. The do's and the don'ts for the next generation. We must teach. Second, discipline. Discipline. Now, the word for discipline is Repeated, it is a theme throughout the entirety of the Book of Proverbs. It's not like a peripheral, optional thing. No, it's like front and center when it comes to parenting and passing along wisdom. Discipline, I would just uh, uh, submit to you, will require at least three things. At least these three things. Okay, first is integrity. For you to discipline your children, you see, the ways you live, the example you set, has to come first. Chapter 20, verse 7, it reads, The righteous who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. Do as I say, but don't do as I do. Do as I say, don't do as I do. Hey, when someone spites you, insults you, don't get angry. Calm down. Think about it. Do you do that, parent?" Do as I say, don't do as I do. This doesn't work well in parenting. It doesn't work well for pastors. It doesn't work well for politicians. It doesn't work well for anyone who wants to lead. Sorry, it's hard. If you can't stand the criticism and all the scrutiny and all the stuff that would come back, you can't stand the heat. You got to get out of the kitchen. That's part of pastoral leadership. This does not mean perfection, however. This does not mean blamelessness, however. This does not mean that you're all around there. But integrity means there's a wholeness about you. See, there's a basic consistency about you. There's a trend. You know, it's an upward trend in your life. And I could see mom and dad really getting more godly. I could see the way that they live, the way they conduct themselves. There is such a thing as change and growth and progress because of the gospel you see when there's a shalom about you remember shalom consistency wholeness things match up this is how wisdom is passed along best our children have a super duper exceptional radar for hypocrisy my girls and Elizabeth certainly do doesn't matter if I'm a teaching pastor. It doesn't matter if mom's involved getting ready for the youth picnic today, how involved we are with the church. But man, my girls, they know me Monday through Saturday. They know what I'm really like. Sometimes they have said, yeah, dad, you're different. But hopefully that's going to change. Hopefully dad's not too different. Hopefully these things will come together and match. Because children who sense that inconsistency, it's going to be very hard. It'll undermine your efforts to pass along wisdom. Yeah, you know, in essence, like this is just true in all of life. Wisdom is caught. Before your children practice wisdom, they have to see how you practice it. Before your children value something, they have to sense you value it. Oh, so let me speak to my fellow parents today, whom I love, the CCSE. Some of you, frankly, are discipling and disciplining your kids that they can never miss school. They will never miss a sporting event. They will never miss a tutoring. They will never miss that club event. They will never miss that extracurricular activity. They will never miss anything at a chance for greater achievement, exposure, reputation, resume, so have you. But they can regularly and casually miss the worship of God at home or in person. Your children are conditioned. They can regularly negotiate or opt out on just basic spiritual disciplines in church membership. You know, I want to tell you, my friends, your energies, your enthusiasm, your commitments, your discipline, you are conditioned. You're you're discipling your child. What do you think happens, chances are, for children when they get busier with job, career, marriage, family, greater challenges and stresses of life? They have learned from our homes what's non-negotiable. So often, so often, oh, Lord have mercy, our children bow down before the very idols we set up in our own homes. Well, I'm not talking about statues, not talking about incense, not talking about obviously demonic things. They are watching parents who certainly value and live for something other than the worship and the love of God. Oh, how can we discipline that? How can we discipline integrity First? Second, investment, investment, investment of time, investment of time. Uh, One pastor famously said this, child sacrifices are happening all the time still, not in the ancient gruesome ways, but they are being sacrificed at the altar of career, busyness, leisure, selfishness, escape. Child sacrifices are happening all the time, all the time. Because we can sacrifice them in many different ways. But to parent and pass along wisdom well. Requires time. One of my confessions two, two and a half years ago. As I'm recovering as your pastor. It just was wrecking my heart as a father. How much more time and investment I need to bring and give. Not irritable leftover time. Like really quality, quantity time. And I'm thankful for this church family that allowed me to kind of regain some, some conscience there and have such gracious daughters and wife who would help me along. Investment, investment. Third, last but not least, in order for us to discipline, a frequented theme throughout the book of, uh, uh, the book of Proverbs. Third, intervention. So you're going to need Integrity. You're gonna need investment of time. Third, intervention, intervention. Jerome Kagan, Dean of Child Psychology, like the guru on child psychology who used to teach at Harvard, he studied temperaments across 36 cultures, and he boiled them down to three, three dominant temperament types in all of our children. First, some are wired to be anxious, okay, anxious types, careful, thinking, cautious. This is the let's get out of here response before it gets us. Those are the anxious temperaments. Second type, aggressive. Aggressive type. I'm going to get it before it gets me. That's the response of that type. Third temperament type, optimistic. Right? Hey, chill out. Chill out. Relax. Nothing's really going to happen. Everything's going to be fine. Everything's going to work out. The reality of these three temperaments, anxious, aggressive, and optimistic, is that none of those temperament types with your usual response type is appropriate for all situations of life your temperament will not be adequate it will not match it won't be wise in all situations of life so anxious types likelier to sense danger really truly dangerous situ- situations like dire situations early and then they're more likely to survive Aggressive types do best in moderately dangerous situations because when you fight back, take action right away, it pays off. Those are moderately dangerous situations. Last but not least, if you're optimistic, you thrive mostly in the least dangerous, stable, suburb situations of life. What is the point? Each temperament of your child and you as an adult, each temperament type is highly ineffective, inappropriate, It will fail to actually meet the exact situation you're in sometimes. It's not fitting for all situations of life. Therefore, what are parents supposed to do? What are we supposed to do as parents? Let your children just be themselves. Let your children find and discover, just nurture, just always compliment them, always praise them, never intervene. Don't ever call them out or correct them. Oh, God forbid. Let them just be who they are. Did you know, according to the Proverbs, that could be one of the worst things you do? That's parental malpractice, according to the scriptures. Otherwise, why does it talk about discipline so often? Discipline takes integrity. Discipline requires investment of time. And third, discipline requires parents to intervene into your child's natural temperament, natural tendency, so that they can learn and adapt to a greater range of responses to situations that would demand it. So for anxious types, really fearful, cautious types, there are certain situations, parents, you're going to have to intervene and tell your anxious child, you got to be, you got to learn to be a little more bold and assertive here. You've got to take action. You've got to make a decision. Hmm? And then to aggressive types, really aggressive types. Hey, parents, parents, you've got to intervene sometimes. The aggressive types say, you need to calm down. You need to stop and think about that. You need to not react to that right away. And then, for the da dotty optimistic types, where everything's going to go well, all you have to do is just read the news to them one night. How much doom and gloom and suffering there really is, and kind of dispel some of those delusions for the optimists. And then, of course, for the pessimists out there, bring them real gospel truth and perspective and hope. Ah, lots to do here, right? Lots to do here. Teach. Discipline. Last one. Most important. Most important. How you love and cherish your children. How you love and cherish your children. Chapter 3, verses 11 and 12 of Proverbs reads this My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Lest any of you think discipline is just a forbidden, dirty word. God disciplines sons and daughters whom he loves. And in turn, godly parents, discipline their children whom they love. Whom they love. I'm just going to bring up a verse that is somewhat controversial. Now, chapter 13, verse 24, Proverbs. Whoever spares the rod hates his son. But he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Yeah, there's problems like this. Yeah, there's Bible verses just like this. And I want you to know here, discipline with a rod, it's not always physical, but I can guarantee this, it's never brutal, it's never abusive, and it's never from the hand of a parent who's lost his or her anger and control. It can't be. People who hide behind verses like this and other verses, why I submit to you, you, know, the abusive, really the abusive types, you can't hide behind verses like this and try to twist it into your own sinful behavior because listen to the tone, you know, like the atmosphere of the book of the, so- uh, of the, book of the Proverbs. There is no way that this is speaking about a parent who brutalizes and goes over the top It can't be because, again, chapter 4, verse 3 reads this. We open with it. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the side of my mother. Listen to its tenderness, its affection, its warmth, its white hot love. And in that atmosphere, in that kind of environment, Discipline comes in love. It's because you love. And it'll never be something that breaks your child for good. You know, this is why Colossians chapter 3, verse 21, literally reads, Fathers, fathers, particular fathers, do not provoke your children. Do not exasperate your children, lest you discourage them. Can I translate that last part? Lest you discourage them. Fathers, when you lose control regularly, frequently, you could break your children regularly and frequently. Oh, but back to the Proverbs. In an atmosphere of unmistakable, unconditional love, the child knows it. The child sees it. The child feels it. The child is secure in it. There's no doubt about it. That's a parent's job. And then when discipline comes, and then when discipline comes, ah, it much more likely has godly, good, lasting impact and effects. You know, one researcher interviewed youth who continued in their Christian faith as adults later on. I don't want to depress you with these statistics that are latest. They all look bad about kids who grew up in the church and how many leave the church after high school or college. And maybe some come back. But this researcher wanted to figure out, connect at least one dot. How is it that some children who grew up in the church come back and continue and love the church. And they continue in their Christian faith. Here's the key factor. Here's the key factor. Uh, It was not church attendance. It was not family worship devotionals even at home. Or the strictness, the strictness of discipline in the family. But the main thing was this. Let me read it for us. The main thing, according to this research project, the main thing they said was that they felt they could talk to their parents about anything, and they would still love them. The main thing was that communication channels leave and left open, long term relationships are sustained and persevered, and there's an atmosphere, there's a culture, a culture in godly families, in godly churches, a culture seep through and through, you know to the bottom of your heart, it's because you're loved. It's because you're loved. Boy, let me close with some practical encouragement. <laughs> we need it, huh? Practical encouragement now, all right? Number one, for when you fail. and you will fail. I have failed. Sonny has failed. And when you fail, when you fail, oh, good dear friend sent this to me. This is what Melissa Kruger wrote. <clears throat> I cannot protect my children from my weaknesses. As hard as I may try, at some point my sin will affect their lives. However, the way I deal with my failure can provide an example for them to follow. Okay, parents, you know, maybe one of the greatest parenting you could ever do is not pretend, not to fake that you're perfect, but to show the reality that you too are the first sinner who needs a Savior. Maybe one of the greatest things parents can do is if and when, and surely you will, completely drop the ball is to turn around, apologize, own it, and come to a Savior who needs to cleanse you and forgive you clean, and to go to the child or the spouse whom you have offended and sinned against, royally so, like everyone in the family knows you sinned against, Like they know who you are. They know what you've been doing. It's just heinous and harmful and toxic. Like you just don't want to acknowledge it though, but it's just kind of sitting there like a pile of you know what in your household. But you know, parents who see that because of the gospel's power, knowing that you have a Savior that needs to forgive and be gracious to you, to you. You turn around, you, when you fail, when you fail. You apologize and ask for forgiveness. And I can't think of anything else from my dad or my mom that is more precious and powerful to me to, to this day. More than their church dedication, more than their amazing things that they've done for me and my sister. But then for them to turn to me with tears in their eyes. It was shocking at first. I was stunned. I couldn't believe it. An older Asian man would be crying and apologizing to me for how he acted. And that apology, that repentance, shows me more the gospel, shows me the reality of a gospel than, quite frankly, hundreds of sermons or retreats or church events I've ever gone to. This is this for you when you fail? What do you do after you fail? Second, when you worry. There's a lot of worry. There's a lot of reasons, yes, to fret and be scared and worry. Your children might be hitting a certain stage. There's growing needs. There's growing special needs. There's disability. There's hormones going crazy. There's a kind of a social atmosphere right now that is just off the charts in terms of how much anxiety and depression and suicidal ideation it's bringing. So we can worry But here's my question. When you worry, when I worry, hmm, stay up late at night. Just constantly think about it. It starts to break your heart. Everyone in the household is also affected because you constantly worry about it. Can I ask you, even if we're not believers, we're not religious at all, can I just ask you the straight up question? Does it help? Does it do anything? Does it help you? Does it help your family? Does it change your child? No. Now, Jesus himself specifically calls out and calms down the over-anxiety and over-worry, especially parents. Look at Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Friends, locate on this verse. Please have this verse just on repeat in your heads as you go home. It does not say, seek first your child's well-being. Seek first your child getting into that school. Seek first your child getting along with all of his friends. Seek first the happiness of your child. Seek first the, the welfare, the future of your child. It never puts that first. It doesn't even put your wife first. It doesn't put you first. It puts God and his kingdom first. God first. Seek Him first. Trust Him first. Come to Him first. And what? All these things will be added to you. Anxiety doesn't help or change anything. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You know, I kind of know a little better now, the, 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 uh, the prayer life of uh, uh, pastors and parents who've gone before me and my grandparents. I, I always wonder like, how do they pray so long? <laughs> how do they pray so long? Like, how do they pray so regularly? I, I know why. All they're doing is replacing all the time of extraordinary worry. Do you know how much time you spend in worry? Do you know how much time you spend in anxiety? How much time you spend in fretting? Take that time and convert extraordinary worry into extraordinary prayer. And all these things will be added to you. Last thing. Last thing to encourage you. Oh, my dear family in CCSC, when you fail, when you worry, last one, you are never, never, never alone. You are not alone. You are not solo in a church. You are not a single parent in a church. You are not a widow or orphan or someone who doesn't belong when a church, when a church is the covenantal family of God. I had another illustration here, but our dear friend John Choi yesterday, there's nothing better. We said farewell to Carol Choi yesterday at Rose Hills. Family insisted on celebration. A very gospel, like just saturated movement of worship. I've been so challenged and blessed by that. But, you know, John stood up at the uh, greetings announcements. And he spoke in saying goodbye to his beautiful wife at 41, Carol. And he said, you know, for my three-year-old son, Andrew and and I, we're going to be okay. We're going to be okay because God is with us. And John went on to say, there are better spiritual fathers here. And there's a lot of spiritual mothers here. Thank you, John. Thank you for the the, the confidence and conviction he has about um, what the church is and can be. There it is when you fail, humility, when you worry, and you're never alone. You're never alone. You know, may the Spirit of God, may the Spirit of God draw us closer, deepen us in love and cherish so we could pass along wisdom in the ways that the world really can't fathom. But we can. Because Jesus Christ. Jesus. He given himself up for us all. So we might learn. Be taught. Corrected. Counseled. Comforted. Loved. And guided by him. Together. As he gives of himself. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven. Thank you this morning. I pray that some of these words and truths. Would pass into life change, into practical actions at home and in your family of CCSC. I entirely trust, only by your power, you would teach us to pass long wisdom better and that we ourselves would be students, learners, sponges and followers of the way of wisdom, for every other way, every other path leads nothing but to frustration and tears and ruin, but you have given your life so that we might have abundant and eternal life in you. Please guard us and guide us in this way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.